Listen up, Gotham. This is Batman. Tune into the Bat Fanatic podcast with Sammy Warmhands. And if you don't, I'll be coming for you. Hey, everybody, it's the Dark Knight of Rap, Sammy Warmhands, and this is the Bat Fanatic podcast. Now, we've got a couple of great episodes lined up for you the gang is going to go in on a classic animated film as well as a contemporary dc black label title two of my very favorite things to talk about but we've been having a little bit of trouble getting everybody together you don't know this but behind the scenes we record two episodes at once so we do our whole month in one session and we got a little bit behind so what i'm going to do is a solo review of birds of prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. All right, so this is me, Sammy Warmhands, and Birds of Prey. All right, now I had two completely different experiences watching this movie. The first one, I sort of blame myself for two reasons. If you've talked to me privately, you'll know I did not enjoy the first time watching this movie. Today I went again and I had a different experience, but I'll tell you what happened the first time. I saw a meme today. You know when you make plans? You're excited, you're happy, you can't wait. And then the right side is the day that it actually comes and you have to go to this thing and dude looks bummed out. That sort of happens to me sometimes when it comes to these film premieres. It's not midnight anymore, thank God, but like I'm usually rushing straight from work. I might be tired from staying up too late the night before, you know, as opposed to, oh, hey, it's the weekend. You want to go catch a movie? Sure. And you're up for it and you're excited. And so there was a little bit of that. I think I was uh, not, not quite uh, up for it. My wife fell asleep <laughs> multiple times uh, her first viewing. She's gone twice as well. And uh, yeah, I think we were just kind of out of it that night. Part two is... I try to go into these things with an open mind and I try to generally go to movies that I want to see. But this one was sort of just from the initial photos and, and all the marketing stuff, the trailer, whatever. It just looked dumb. Like it just not my style. It looked very kind of just too silly, too juvenile. Like just the, the visuals is, you know, she's wearing this fucking confetti fringe transparent parka thing like i don't i don't know i was just i was not down with the whole vibe from the beginning and then like that week that the film came out there were some people who saw the first screenings their early reviews being tweeted and they were really favorable reviews and i thought oh shit like maybe i got the wrong idea you know there's only so much you can show in a green band trailer for an R-rated movie, you know, like maybe I judge this prematurely. And then the first like five minutes of the movie, I'm like, nope, this is just as dumb as I thought. And that's basically because opening with the animated sequence to fill the gap, the backstory of the character who they talk about a lot but never show, and that's the Joker. And so they got around that by animating their backstory, the kind of in-between Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey. And so that kind of rubbed me wrong. I was like, just 
fucking show us the thing, you know? Then right after that, we see her at a club on a bender just getting shit-faced. And, like, if you know anything about me, <laughs> I'm straight edge. I also have very uh, different music taste than the super fucking poppy mainstream stuff that's being put in this and Suicide Squad. Like, a good example is Southpaw. It's a great movie by uh, actor Jake Gyllenhaal as a boxer. Eminem was supposed to play the part, and he backed out. They recast as Jake Gyllenhaal, and then he got control over the soundtrack for the film. And so you'll be in this super serious movie, just this really, really dark drama, and then there'll be some Eminem music pop in that just takes you out of the thing. It's like his voice just like piercing overproduced shit when you have a good score that actually works for the film and sets the tone. And so I just from those first two scenes, I had enough objections that it was like, ah, oh, fuck, this just confirms what I was afraid of. You know, it is a pretty ridiculous movie. The story's a little bit wild and, and the whole thing being in her head is very <laughs> offbeat, inconsistent, up and down, as one would expect, I guess, from this character. But I think that my own baggage is really what affected my enjoyment going into it. And I just went again, knowing what I was getting into, I had a much better time. So I didn't do the proper intro. I'll say here is Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, directed by Kathy Yan, who I was unfamiliar with up until this point, written by Christina Hodson, who I was also unfamiliar with, had done the Transformers Bumblebee spinoff, which I, I'm not familiar with those movies really at all. Starring, of course, Margot Robbie, one of my absolute favorite actors in and outside of this character. I think she's chosen some amazing roles. I've been a fan since, uh, I want to say Wolf of Wall Street, but I think even before that, she was in About Time, that really good uh, English love story. And um, and I've just been following her career ever since, and she's, she's absolutely one of my uh, very, very favorite actors working today. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I recognize from Death Proof, is... Uh, Huntress in this movie. Journey Smollett-Bell is uh, Black Canary, who actually, I think, second to Harley gets probably the most screen time, the most to do in this movie. We have Rosie Perez, of course, playing Renee Montoya from the animated series. You have Ella J. Basco as Cassandra Kane, which <laughs> I'll get to you in a minute. Uh, Chris Messina, who we've never seen in this way. Uh, you may recognize him from the Mindy Project or some other lighthearted roles playing Victor Zaz, which was, uh, I thought, phenomenal. Uh, a really good portrayal of one of the most ruthless, disgusting Batman villains around. And, of course, the scene stealer everyone's talking about, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor. Now, I have a fuckload of notes, and instead of going through this entire fucking thing, I think that I'm just going to break it down into these uh, 
categories that we normally go to. You know, we talk about like, oh, there's Easter eggs, pros and cons, things like that. So I'm just going to break down uh, a few of these categories. Going into it, though, what I didn't like right away was it felt like DC has been kind of following instead of leading. You know, in comics, they're fucking leaders. You know, they dominate their original. They make bold choices and stuff. And with the films, I mean, you have so much studio interference. You have creators who are reacting to the fans, reaction to the previous film. It's not a clear, concise vision. We know what happened with Justice League. I mean, Suicide Squad is a great example because that's a movie people don't like. It's a movie I really do like for about an hour. <laughs> and then the back half when it's just, uh, you realize, oh, this is where they're going. Okay. And, and the threat is kind of, it's not that real. It's not that grounded. It's not, there's no stakes in it. It's just some fucking into the world CGI shit. But their chemistry leading up to that was great. And from everything that we've heard about that movie is that it had such a remarkably successful and surprisingly successful trailer that they got the company who made the trailer to recut the film. And we've never seen the original director's cut of that film, much like uh, what happened with Justice League. Those little things get under my skin a little bit. And I didn't want to have that baggage going into this movie, but right away it was clear what they were doing is, what if we do an all-female Deadpool? Because you have, like, the animated sequence in the beginning is much like the closing credits animation in Deadpool. You obviously have the R-rated violence and humor. You have over-the-top, you know, this ridiculous character's narration through the whole thing, telling you the story. The way that they tell you the story is done by showing you big, exciting, fun beats and then going, well, hold up, let me start the beginning of the story. And then they rewind and they chop time in the same way. And so I watch too many movies. I think too much about it. I was just in my head on this first viewing going, well, now this thing is like Deadpool. That thing is like Deadpool. And I thought it was just too many things. There was another thing I noticed that was different from the way this film was marketed. I've seen in a couple of interviews they'll use this clip. I'm not sure. It may have been in the trailer as well. I remembered it being different when I actually saw it on screen. When they're in the car and Harley's driving Cassandra and they've got someone tailing them and Harley hands Cassandra a stick of dynamite to throw out the window at the car. Uh, she says, you're that psycho from roller derby, which it stood out to me as being longer in the uh, marketing material. And I looked it up and Originally, it was, you're that psycho chick from Roller Derby, and Harley actually refutes this and says, you never call a woman a chick. I'll accept broad lady woman and on occasion bitch. And Cassandra's like, what? And then gets handed the dynamite. I didn't actually recall that whole thing playing out on screen. Clearly, it wasn't because of the rating, but for some reason, maybe they had a change of heart on it, or I fucking fell asleep for five seconds I don't know. I was also taking notes this time, and I was trying not to be an asshole, so I turned my phone screen down as low as it would go, and I partially unzipped my hoodie, put my phone inside, and I was badly 
one-handed taking notes the whole time trying to uh, make sure that I gave you guys a thorough enough review and not just like, I like the one thing, but they should have done this. I didn't want to do that. So I'm going to start the first major category here with Easter eggs. First of all, Batman the Animated Series. We can't talk about Harley Quinn or Renee Montoya without talking about the animated series because that's where both of them share their first appearances. And right away in the first few seconds of the film, the animation shows a case of beer, I believe, a six-pack in the upper left corner, there's a logo that says Tim slash Deanie or something like that. It's like Tim Tim Deanie beer. I thought that was a nice little nod to the, the main writer and artist combo from that show who created the Harley Quinn character. We see also a sequence of breakups that she was uh, going through before Joker, I believe, where uh, there's a slot machine that shows faces like hers with some partner. And one of those faces was uh, Pamela Isley, Poison Ivy, or it looked very much like her. We also have Ace Chemicals, which we've seen on the animated series. And we have her, I was surprised, CGI hyena. I couldn't tell if the fucking thing was real. I thought it was really, really well done. I was glad to see it. Obviously, she names it Bruce. I heard Margot say the reason that they couldn't do Bud and Lou, the pair of hyenas, is because it was so expensive just to do the one. And uh, that's fine by me. I think it was a a great addition to it and showing her weird fucking apartment (laughs) and the way that she lives. It was a a minor part, but I I welcomed it. References to uh, Suicide Squad. Right away, we have the X'd out pink over the uh, Warner Brothers logo. In the cartoon segment as well, there is Harley's uniform from Suicide Squad with the Joker, though they do not show Leto's Joker. I have questions, issues, I guess, with the uh, use of Joker in the film or lack thereof, because all of this sequence is kind of a classic comic Joker. The dartboard that she has with Joker's face on it and a dick in his mouth is sort of a classic comic Joker. We do see Leto's Joker from behind at one point when one of the many people trying to catch up and kill Harley now that she's free from Joker and no longer under protection is this big motherfucker with face tattoos. She's like, I didn't do that. And he's like, well, you dared him to do it. And then it shows Joker leaning over and giving this guy a face tattoo. That is definitely Leto's Joker, but the other references are not classic cartoon Joker style instead. Uh, I think that stuff's interesting. They also do, in relation to Suicide Squad, actual flashback scenes where she falls into the vat at Ace Chemicals. That's why she's going to blow the motherfucker up. Then they do the graphics on screen introduce each character much like they did in Suicide Squad where they'd list like, uh, you know, it's like Deadshot and, you know, Total Kills and Weapons of Choice or however they did it. They did a similar thing in this one where it's like, oh, here's Roman Sionis. 
his grievance with Harley is this wrong, long-running list of shit. Actually, I fuck. That was the one thing I was gonna Google before I did this review. Is if anyone freeze frame and went through the list of things on there, I saw one thing was that she was a Bernie Sanders voter. I was wondering if that was any reference to the uh, Bernie uh, Beaver. I haven't read her in the new 52 as far as those goes. I've read like Batwoman and Batgirl and of course the, the Batman like court of owl series and stuff, but um, I haven't read the Harley books. So just from what I've heard, Bernie, the beaver, the roller derby, uh, that stuff is taken from the new 52. The last reference to suicide squad that I caught was the captain boomerang photo at the police station. Oh, and she does recap most of that story. Her, psychology degree and relationship with the Joker and busting out of prison and getting caught by Batman, all that stuff is, is recapped in the grocery store. And Cassandra's like, man, how do you do it? You got all this shit. You got your life together. Like, how do I be like you? And she's like, well, and rattles off all this crazy shit. Kind of like Ace Ventura going, first of all, you you know, and kind of goes through the whole thing. And uh, so, yeah, there's quite a bit of connective tissue with Suicide Squad, despite doing, all that it can to distance itself as well. Uh, another comic reference is we have uh, Montoya having a past relationship with Ali Wong and her character in the DA's office. I believe, if I remember right from the Batwoman books, that she had a thing with Kate Kane, Batwoman herself, and so her um, sexual identity being carried over would be uh, a relevant comic reference. I didn't really know a lot about Huntress. I've seen her pop up here and there, but um, supposedly the uh, Galante murdering her whole family is, uh, is a straight retelling of her actual origin story. We've got Robinson Park mentioned, not to Jerry Robinson. The, the Is he creator or co-creator of the Joker? I don't remember, but that, that was a nice little thing when she was talking about being good at finding stuff when... Uh, Black Mask has got her tied up, I believe. Here's a little spoiler for you. I haven't been watching the Harley Quinn animated series that's out right now on the DC Universe streaming platform because I don't want one more fucking subscription right now, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I really want to see the show. Okay, so here's the spoiler. Post-credits, we don't see anything, but we hear this little overdubbed voice of Harley saying, oh, well, since you stayed, let me let you in on a secret. And she says, uh, Batman, and then it cuts at the F. And people are saying that there might be a reference to the uh, Harley Quinn DC Universe show where there's a line, she says, I always wonder what the Batcave looked like. So this must be where you fuck the bats. So possibly that was a little joke. I wish they would have kept it in if that's what it was because I think that's pretty funny. And then uh, last little thing that I noticed in terms of Easter eggs is in that fantastic sequence at the end where she's on the roller skates hanging onto the back of a car. The uh, license plate says HDR133, which in uh, obviously the, the D less so, but uh, from a distance it looks sort of like Harley, like H-A-R. L-E-E. Um, I'm not sure if that's what they were trying to say there, but it seemed too close to not be something intentional. But um, 
yeah, there's a lot of fun shit to pick up. The first time, again, I was really just like, ah, man. You know, I like Batman because there's no aliens from outer space and shit. I like, I like real people, real human stories, you know. But the second time watching this going, well, there still is quite a bit that's, that's true to character. The biggest thing that threw me off from the very beginning of, of marketing, well before this came out, though, was the costumes, the look. And we always have a space in here where we talk about the bat suit. So I'm going to substitute that and just talk about the costumes a little bit. I mentioned that fucking confetti rainbow fringe parka jacket thing. We've seen the yellow fucking overalls. We've just seen some weird over-the-top shit. I don't think the main thing that Huntress wears on top looks normal. It's just odd. And like the, the very last shot of the gang when they finally say birds of prey, you know, it just, as I described it to a couple of people in DMs, I was like, it looks like a high school dance team or something. I was like, this, this movie looked like it was designed at like a middle school New Year's Eve party. Like it's just a bunch of little kids drank fucking Slurpees and went to a fucking thrift store and just went wild. I don't know. It was just a little odd. Second time through, you know, I appreciated it more. I actually thought Harley had a good look in the club scene in the beginning. There's like a lot of long silvery black and she had like stars on under her jacket. And uh, I thought that looked good. She had all that uh, stuff. It, it almost looked like a piercing, but all the um, like jewels in her eyebrow and stuff. I thought all that fits with her version of Harley, the Margot Harley that we know. I think that... Uh, before we get to the overalls, you know, and she's just got the, like the shorts and the um, sports bra most of the time. Uh, and she has that, <laughs> when I first saw the set photos, I was like, she looks like you're wearing a garbage bag, but I've actually kind of grown to like it on second viewing. The It's kind of like a translucent white-ish shirt that just says Harley fucking Quinn all over it. And uh, I don't know, I think that look uh, from top to bottom works in a post-Suicide Squad Margot Harley thing. I still would love to see, you know, like we got the little glimpse of the original Jester costume in Suicide Squad when they're doing that suit-up sequence. She pulls it out for a second and then discards it. And I know all the fans were like, oh, we want more of that. And then they even shot that little Alex Ross homage that we saw for like three seconds or something where she was in it. And so I thought, you know, maybe... I know Margo's really serious about doing this character justice and doing it right. I was like, maybe we'll get to see that in Birds of Prey. I'm like, no, we did not get to see that, unfortunately. There is a similar uh, suit-up sequence where she actually pulls out that uh, Daddy's Little Monster shirt for a brief moment and says, no, you can't use that. It has sentimental value. I guess that I should have listed that in my Easter eggs with uh, Suicide Squad. However... The one thing I will say in terms of costumes and comparing with that movie is there was a lot of talk about the first movie having like a slutty outfit. And um, I I don't really get that because they talked about like the outfits in this one were going to be quote unquote less male gazy. I feel like she's wearing less. I mean, with the shorts might be a couple inches longer, but <laughs> I just thought of that whole thing quote-unquote controversy over the 
the look when uh, she was unveiled for Suicide Squad and the sort of um, legacy that it has. Very popular with cosplayers to this day, but uh, I know a lot of people look down on it for objectifying her or whatever, and I'm like looking at this movie going, well, she's still in shorts and uh, not even a cutoff, but fucking sports bra, so we're showing more here, and I haven't heard any complaints, so that's, I guess, all I'm going to say about the look of the costumes. Uh, Again, I, I did warm up to it a little bit the second time, but some of the shit like goddamn gold overalls and and (laughs) some of that is just a little fucking much for me now this section i thought well there's no way we can do the uh the gang review here so that's why i would do it solo you know it's like we can't do detective ninja trauma the batman trifecta and i was like well as i was putting these notes together we kind of can a little bit because under detective i mean that's not really her thing however she does easily talk herself out of situations when backed into a corner. I mean, when Black Mask has got everybody pinned at the back, she, you know, people trying to split off, go their separate ways. She's like, no, 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 you got to stay. We got to fucking fight this shit together. You know, she's tied up. She's got a knife to her face and uh, Black Mask and Zaz are ready to go to town on her. And she's like, well, I did over here that you've got this predicament. I can help you out with this shit. Uh, she's able to find the diamond, find Cassandra really quickly and easily and bust her out in a hurry. So, I mean, not necessarily detective, but still very intelligent, still easily reads people and their motivations and breaks down the scene for you. So, I mean, I think it still shows her as an intelligent person. Harleen's transformation to Harley Quinn uh, did not, lose her brain even though she lost a little bit of her morality uh ninja definitely a hell of a fighter uh there's some great action in this uh watching her work the bat watching her finally work the mallet because she had it in suicide squad and i'm not sure we ever saw her actually use it uh so it, it was really nice to see and actually good hand-to-hand fight sequences too not like all the CGI monsters they were fighting in the first one. You know, there's there's a little more danger to there. There's a little more peril. You know, the stakes feel real. And no matter how much she's outnumbered or outgunned, you know, she throws herself at it. Also does it in a, a very over-the-top Harley fashion where they're like, when did she have time to put on skates? You know, and just like, oh, I found a penny and ducks and you know, dodges a bullet and, uh, you know, still very true to character, but kicking the shit out of anyone who comes across her. Third part of the Batman trifecta is trauma. It's very clear in this situation that her primary motivation is all rooted in the Joker breakup. I mean, if you think about her character, the transformation into Harley Quinn, that was all done through that relationship with Joker. And so this is the first moment, really, as Harley Quinn, to exist without him. I think the trauma really informs what's going on. I mean, if you... I just watched the animated series episode, Harley and Ivy. And if you were to compare these, she's at least less apologetic. She has a little more self-esteem because in the animated version... She still talks about the Joker with a certain reverence, like, well, maybe we could work it out. Maybe we could get together. And Ivy's like, dude, that motherfucker has ruined you. He's taking advantage. Knock it off, you know. 
So I think it's a significant part, but they don't make her uh, so wounded, so codependent. You know, they give her a little bit of uh, balls, a little bit of integrity that carries her through. But yeah, I think the, the trauma is a significant part in launching this whole story, for sure. Pros and cons. I'm surprised. I have actually quite a bit in my pros. I really enjoy this a lot the second time. And I know, again, if I've talked to you in my DMs, I, I really didn't want to make a post after seeing it one time, particularly because I don't like being negative about movies, music, people that I'm rooting for. You know, I want them to do well. I don't want to tear down the works of others unless for some reason I feel that they just have zero artistic integrity. You know, I, you got to really be on my wrong side for me to add to the negativity that's on the internet. And so a couple people like, oh, you saw it. What did you think? And I was like, fuck, man. Like, I was disappointed. You know, like, you got Montoya teaming up with serial killers. You got these fucking dumbass outfits. You know, like, I wasn't having it at the time. Today, I saw it again by myself. I <laughs> Another thing I'll tell you is I had just finished reading Harleen not too long ago. Uh, I got the hardcover this week when it came out and read through that again, which is my third time through the whole series. And God, it's fucking good. And it's so real and it's so cerebral and in her head. And she's such a real three-dimensional human being. So I had a little bit of that in the back of my head. And I had a little bit of Batman detective comics run in Rebirth where Cassandra Cain is utilized in an incredible way. So things were different than I had in my head about these characters. But I will say, in my prose, characters done right. And I'll give that up for Harley, first and foremost, because seeing it again, I mean, it is frantic and nutty, but still intelligent and funny. I really think that after any criticism that I had about the movie as a whole, the story or whatever, that the way that she acts and talks is still right on point with what Harley should be. I think Black Mask, I know him mostly from Under the Red Hood and a couple other things where he's popped up in small doses. But from what I've seen and read, this was a, a very well adapted version and I thought he was probably the best villain that we've seen in the DCEU since Zod or Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor. I mean, I, I really like Michael Shannon. I thought he kicked off the series in a great way. But since then, we've had some, some okay villains and some good ones. Like, you know, Shazam, I thought, uh, had some real stakes. You know, I thought it, it felt threatening and, and good, but uh, DC hasn't uh, really utilized the best of their villains lately, and Black Mask was a good fucking choice. And it, with Zaz as his right hand, I mean, fuck. They're both... The way that they play this shit, too, is so menacing and so threatening. They're doing that scene with the uh the businessman i think his organization was the golden lions i'm not sure if that's a reference to something or if it's a, an original uh aspect of the script but he was trying to uh combine 
forces with them, create their own new family, Black Mask in the Golden Lions, and uh, man, hung those motherfuckers upside down and cut their fucking faces off. That shit was intense. Every time they're on screen, I mean, Zaz gets delivered some bad news at the club, and he overhears this woman laughing, clearly someone he knows because he refers to her by name. He makes her stand up on the table. The room is dead silent. He makes her stand in front of everyone and dance. He, it's so threatening. He's not holding a weapon or doing anything, but he just his presence alone, you know that he'll fucking snap in a second. He makes her stand up there and dance. He tells her to take off her dress. She won't do it. Uh, he makes her date, fucking hands the guy a steak knife from the table, makes him cut the dress off of her just to humiliate her in front of everyone. I mean, you got Black Canary watching this, can't do anything. She's like tears coming down her face. I mean, every scene with these guys is intimidating and, and just raw, real threats for as silly as the movie is in a lot of places the villains are fucking scary and and real and grounded and i mean zaz has always been one of the most dangerous motherfuckers in dc universe and um to see him actually like open that shirt and show all those scars off you know that that was that was fucking great and um i thought the huntress subplot was very kill bill and you know the they weave their way together very well. You know, when they introduce Montoya in the very beginning, she is taking you through the crime scene and telling you what happened, kind of like an episode of Dexter or something. And they're showing flashbacks. They're cutting to Huntress taking out this room of people. And, you know, as you go through the movie, you've got the chase for the, uh, is it Bertinelli? I think it's Bertinelli diamond. And, uh, and you see that murder, and you see her taking out all these dudes, and you don't really know why. I think the first time that Harley meets her, and she dodges that arrow, they put name, question mark, grievance, question mark. And so they do a really good job of, of weaving the Black Mask Harley plot with the Huntress uh, hits, murders, whatever you want to call them, uh, subplot, and um, you know the way that they... They come together at the end. You realize it's the same person and her motivation for doing it. I thought that was really well done. And, you know, the musical choices and, and the way those scenes were shot, again, it reminded me a lot of Kill Bill. Well, I think Kill Bill too. But um, I, I, I thought that stuff worked really well. Uh, more in the pros, I'll say the R-rated action is uh, very entertaining. I mean, you've got that opening club scene where the guy calls her a dumb slut or something and she jumps down on both the guy's knees, breaks his legs, and then sits on his lap. And I was like, I've got a fucking PhD, motherfucker, or something like that. Um, I thought that was great. I mean, we get good action moves like in the uh, evidence room. And then even right before it, actually, when she busts out Cassandra Kane, she sets off the fire alarm sprinklers, and uh, she's taking her out of that holding cell and all the dudes come out and are trying to take her on. And it, it kind of called back a little bit to the, uh, the look in the first one in suicide squad where she's out there in the rain and, um, you know, sad that a uh, Joker crashed his helicopter. But, uh, 
yeah, and this one, you know, she's fucking shit up and taking on six guys at once and then cuts into the evidence room. You got all these mercenaries come in and she finds that baseball bat and it's fucking on. Um, uh, <laughs> she takes down a bunch of dudes at once and like there's a guy on the ground in front of her and someone behind him coming towards her and she like throws the bat at the ground, it bounces off the ground, hits the guy in the face, comes back in the air, and she catches it. I mean, there's just great little sequences like that. I mean, she sets a guy's beard on fire right after that. Uh, you've got Huntress stabbing a dude all as she rides him down the slide at the fun house at the end. I thought that was fucking awesome. Um, that, that whole set was awesome. The uh, amusement mile, uh, the booby trap scene I thought was great. Um, the skates and the car chase. I mean, that shit was fucking wild. I, I really thought that that uh, was perfect for her. They do a lot of humor that does work, like uh, when they set Harley free and they're not going to kill her because she's going to go find the diamond. She walks out and Canary's sitting there on the alleyway and Harley goes, hey, you're that singer that nobody listens to. And Canary goes, yeah, you're that asshole no one likes. And, uh, you know, a lot of little things like that. Uh, Funny stuff like a running gag is Huntress and her name because everyone else refers to her as the crossbow killer before you ever hear her name spoken. And then when she finally is about to speak her name, she's talking to Doc in the, the Thai food restaurant below Harley's apartment. She's like, they call me. And then it cuts and shows... Uh, more backstory or whatever and uh, everyone calls her the crossbow killer Uh, there's a scene of her practicing her name in the mirror kind of like a taxi driver travis bickle sort of thing where she's like they call me you can call me my name is you know just kind of going through the emotions on like how she's gonna sound cool in front of people um so the crossbow killer gag is always pretty good i mean you get uh (laughs) when they pull open the uh, armory at amusement mile and it's empty harley's cursing the joker for taking the weapons she calls him a slimy jizz nozzle thought that was pretty good in that same scene uh, montoya busts in and then yells freeze and uh, this is right after zaz has been taken down and harley has pulled the dart the tranquilizer dart out of her neck and she can hardly move but the one hand can move and so she's like awkwardly stabbing Zaz in the back as he's dying there and Montoya comes in and yells freeze and everyone stops and cuts to Harley and she goes one more stab (laughs) I thought that was pretty fucking funny Uh, so there's a lot of good stuff like that that did make me laugh and then just general I mean good script techniques and callbacks and Cassandra slips the handcuffs in the uh, grocery store scene, it was kind of like earlier when she's walking down the sidewalk before she gets arrested, or right when she steals the diamond. Uh, you watch her point with her right hand, I believe, to the lady's earrings or necklace or something, while she uses her left hand to take the lady's watch right off of her. You know, she uses this sleight of hand technique, this distraction. In the grocery store scene, she said, see, you were watching this hand. And Harley's like, I'm no idiot. I know that you're cuffed to me. Oh, you're not, you know. And so Harley learned that trick off screen, but had spent time with her. So, I mean, it's not unreasonable. She said, oh, I got to learn that one. Um, And so Montoya cuffs them together. And then uh, Harley 
slips the cuff, cuffs Montoya to herself and kicks her out the window. So, I mean, there's little callbacks like that or when Montoya first comes in and Arlie goes, you killed my sandwich, you know. That stuff is really well done. The foreshadowing is well done. This is a little bit of a spoiler here. If you don't want to know how Black Mask goes away, this is a spoiler. Five, four, three, two, one. When they do this suit-up scene at Amusement Mile, they have the uh, grenade that Cassandra holds up. I learned this from Breaking Bad that apparently there's an old rule in cinema that like if you show a gun at some point, uh, you better well use it. The last season of Breaking Bad was cut in two pieces and uh, like the first episode showed a machine gun in the back of Walter White's car when he was on the run. And I've heard Vince Gilligan say from his own mouth, we didn't actually know what he was going to do with it. We didn't know where that was going. <laughs> uh, but we knew if we put it in there, it was going to have to come back later. And obviously that was the gun that he used to uh, take out the white supremacist gang. So following that logic, and really post-Breaking Bad, I've, I learned a lot about foreshadowing and watching the little details. So we see that grenade come back. You know, they wait long enough and show you enough action and crazy shit that you'll forget she even had it. It's always how that shit rolls, and it was well done. Another little bit of foreshadowing is, I, I, again, I think his name was Doc, the guy who was uh, running the Thai food restaurant downstairs. Harley introduces him saying, he's the only person who actually cares about me. And jokingly, he says, I do. And, uh, oh, by the way, is Doc a Warner Brothers reference? The Bugs Bunny thing? I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too far into that, but... She says he cares. He says, I do. And it's sort of a joke. And then they go upstairs and you don't really think about it again. But turns out he's the one who sold her out, gave away her location. Uh, you see that there was a little more significance to that little joke. Now, great action, a lot of good gags. The core characters are done very well. Um, I'm not sure if I even mentioned Canary, but she was uh, also one of my favorites. I thought like that scene where... You've got Harley in peril. She was hammered drunk after her breakup. This guy picks her up, takes her outside, you know, after buying her another drink. And she seems to be like basically blacked out. Strong date rape implications here. Canary gets in her car. She's about to drive away. And she's like, nah, fuck this. And goes and kicks the guy's ass. Then these other dudes roll up at the same time. And she fights off several people at once. And uh, so it was kind of like when our last episode, we talked about Black Canary being at work and everyone hitting on her and driving her crazy. And, you know, her entrance, we see her kick the shit out of like 20 people. So that was right on with what I wanted to see from her. Now, cons. There are a couple characters done wrong. Primarily, one thing and again, this is just my baggage of having been enjoying the Rebirth series lately. Cassandra Kane, in various versions, as I understand, is the daughter of assassins. Um, and in the one that I've been reading, she's uh, the daughter of Lady Shiva and basically a weapon herself. She hardly speaks, which they sort of hint at in the beginning. One of her first scenes, she's in the police station and Montoya comes up to her. She says, 
you smell like shit or something like that. That's about all we get. We see her in the roller derby earlier in the audience, but she doesn't speak, you know. So, I mean, they kind of hint at that sort of thing. But um, it's like body language is her language in these stories. And in the third book of Rebirth, the entire League of Shadows has taken out the team. And we see, spoiler alert, Cassandra as orphan. And I know she's also been Batgirl. Orphan takes on the entire League of Shadows by herself. There's, at one point, Batman says, when asked, do you ever think about what would happen if you actually had to fight her? And he said, I would lose. And then we see her take on like a hundred motherfuckers at once. No exaggeration. Armed to the teeth. The most skilled lethal killers. And she takes them all her fucking self and then has the goddamn boss fight at the end. Holy fucking shit. Amazing. And so the whole time I'm watching this movie, Cassandra is the damsel in distress. And I'm thinking they want you to underestimate her. As shit goes down, okay, we're in the amusement mile scene. It's on that big rotating platform, and shit's getting crazy. She gets grabbed a few times. We're like, oh, shit, it's going to happen. She's going to fucking show everybody, like, oh, by the way, I'm the best fighter in the room. Didn't happen. And so, again, that's my baggage just from reading that character recently. But um, I feel like maybe they should have called her something else. Unless there's a story where she's not orphan or Batgirl and does nothing. I don't know. She's a pickpocket. But uh, yeah, I wanted more from that. I mentioned the, the soundtrack. Obviously, uh, I see what they're going for. You know, big female empowerment soundtrack. I don't think there's a male voice on the whole thing. Even when they do the James Brown uh, song, it's a Black Canary cover of it. So, I mean, that goes with the whole girl gang thing, but I just don't like a lot of the, the style of the modern overproduced bullshit. I do like when they use Barracuda in the fight sequence. That was fucking awesome. Again, in the cons uh, costumes, which I talked about, there is also some humor that doesn't land. I think the best example of that is the suit up scene. They say something to Huntress. They said, oh, she's got rage issues. And then like really over the top, like fucking soap opera acting. She's like, I do not have rage issues. And it was like, dude, did I just walk into the TV show Gotham? Like that was, that was really bad. I guess I wanted a little, a, a little more for her because one of the f- most significant lines from her character was that. And uh, it didn't land for me. I wish that they had set up Canary's siren power, you know, like uh, Banshee from X-Men. There's a scene in the beginning where she's singing in the club and she hits a high note that's really not all that of a high note, you know, like in the cartoons, someone would be doing some opera shit and the glass would crack, you know, but we see a martini glass crack when she's singing. But I thought that was just kind of because this is a wacky cartoony version that that was going to be it. But at no point does any other character mention metahuman powers, superpowers, anything like that. And so it sort of came out of nowhere. Like when it happened, I was like, what? They're, they're taking it there? Okay. Um, so, I mean, it's fine. It's true to the character. It just seemed like it kind of came out of nowhere. It didn't really fit in this world. 
And then the last thing in the cons, again, the shorter list than uh, when I was going into it. Much longer prose section, thank the fuck God. The elephant in the room is the fucking Joker, man. Like, how are you going to mention a guy 50 times and not show him? You lose something there. The audience is taken out of the story because we know the baggage of like, oh, yeah, fucking Leto was a nightmare to work with. Oh, fans didn't react well to his look either. You know, he's in fucking memes, for God's sake, if everyone's celebrating Heath and Joaquin's Oscar wins and comparing him to him. And, and, you know, he's just, people shit on him. So there's many reasons why you know that Joker isn't there, and yet they continually reference and bring him up, which, I mean, I guess you would have to. Your hands are sort of tied, but, like, I mean, we, we saw set photos of someone dressed like him throwing her shit out the window, and they sort of used that scene a tiny bit, but it was only two shots, and Joker was not in them. And the other thing was, like, so we have the animated intro with the breakup that we don't get to see. I feel like even though this story's not about him, it's so significant. I mean, the reason people start coming after her is because they split up. You know, the reason she's in a bad way in the beginning is because they split up. The reason she blows up Ace Chemicals, you know, and and Montoya gets onto her is because they split up. So, I mean, it's such a running part of the movie for the person to not be in it. I had an idea because when they show the face cutting off scene, I was like, oh my God, they're going to do the fucking... No, like we would have known. We would have heard if Joker was in this shit. And then they do the face cut off of these unseen people. Uh, It comes to the girl and I'm like, oh shit, maybe this is Orphan's origin story here or something. But that didn't play out to be anything. But they do the face cutting thing, which is most famously in the new 52 Death in the Family Joker where he fucking reattaches his own fucking face. So I thought, this is just my fantasy after for the first viewing of like, man, wouldn't it be great if we just had a tiny bit of Joker? And it's not even like celebrating the Joker. It's like punishing him because the story demands it. The audience would be fine with it, yet it would still make the story a little more realistic. So number one, we show the breakup. Number two, after Ace Chemicals is blown up, Black Mask is using Harley to find the diamond. Therefore, he is invested in her. Granted, it would have to be worked in some other way because obviously he puts out the bounty on Cassandra Kane, pit them against Harley as well. But I don't know. There's some way you could make this work where Joker intervenes. Black Mask is like, oh, fuck you. This is my game now and cuts off Joker's face. Would have been amazing. Third, he comes back at the end with the uh, strapped-on face. He would come back in the amusement park climax scene. You know, Harley could kill him in self-defense and then just fucking take him out because he's not in the new Suicide Squad movie. And that would explain his absence of just fucking kill him off. If people, if people didn't like him and he didn't like working with him, okay, well, just bring him back a little bit. He said himself he wanted more screen time. He wanted to be in sequels and stuff. Okay, Here's your fucking role, man. You want it? We're going to fucking rip your face off. It's going to be the gnarliest shit ever. And then we're going to kill you off. I don't know. I would have rather seen that personally. But that's my own fucking bullshit baggage. And I, I really didn't feel the lack of Joker that much the second time. 
again, kind of just knowing what I was getting into was helpful. And that's why I didn't want to review this, having only seen it once on sort of an off night for me and, and, and really not having a good time. So overall, it's better than I expected going in, and it's a lot better than my first attempt watching it. I'm going to give a rating of three and a half. I give three and a half fucks about this movie. As I was walking out of the Cinemark today, they had a, a, a pile of uh, posters too, so I snagged me one of those, even though it's the dumb fucking <laughs> golden overalls. There's actually a lot of cool Easter eggs in the artwork of you know, the grenades and the diamonds and all the little shit they put in the background. I thought it was well done. So, you know, it might not be the, the style that I was hoping for, but I do think it's true to the character and I, I think it's pretty good. I think this is a movie that uh, I will probably watch more than I'll watch Joker because honestly, I pre-ordered that shit on DVD. I had seen it twice in the theaters and then when my pre-order came, I was like, God, I just, I want to watch it, but like it's gnarly as fuck and uh, to have that realistic disgusting, crazy violence is, uh, it's a lot harder. I watched it uh, actually last night uh, for the first time since the DVD came out. You know, it's still great, but it's it's just harder to watch. And this is a movie that um, I can kick back when I'm halfway paying attention and, uh, you know, looking at toys on eBay and shit and still enjoy in the way that I would enjoy the animated series or something like that. So, as far as rating goes, you know, first viewing, I probably would have said something embarrassingly low that I would regret having uh, seen it a second time and actually getting a lot more out of it. I think that they pulled off everything they set out to do. We have a strong villain, a strong protagonist. Everything that happens in the story moves the story forward. So it is a tight script. It is a well-executed movie, even if it's different than my expectations that I brought to the screening. So, I mean, I think a three and a half out of five is, is fair. It's definitely something I'm going to watch again. So that's it. Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. I am excited to see the, uh, the follow-up, The Suicide Squad. I think James Gunn did an amazing job with Guardians, and I knew nothing about Guardians, and I had no interest in seeing Guardians, and it blew me the fuck away. And uh, they're some of my favorite Marvel movies, so I'm glad that a bunch of the core cast is coming back, and it's not a full reboot, and I'm interested to see what the next chapter of Harley Quinn is going to be. Last thing I'll say is this. Do yourself a favor... And go out right now and get that hardcover of Harleen. And I don't want to butcher his name, but um, Stepan Sejic, I think that's right, Stepan Sejic. He is the artist and the writer. These are beautifully rendered pages. An amazing story. It's all backstory. You barely see her in the costume at all, and it doesn't fucking matter. I couldn't get enough of it. I never really buy single issues, but the, the cover was so stunning. I picked up the first two, and I was, I think, in Texas at the San Antonio Comic-Con. They were amazing. I bought the third one, and uh, I had to get the hardcover first edition. It's just fantastic. It's one of the best told stories. It looks beautiful. It's so realistic and grounded in all the things that I want in a Gotham universe story. So pick up Harleen by Stepan Sejic on DC Black Label now. 
All right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening to me by myself go on about this one. Next time, we're going to have the gang back. We've already done our reviews, uh, got our notes taken. We're just ready to sit down and talk about the animated classic, drum roll please, Mask of the Phantasm. So I'm looking forward to it. And then we're going to follow that with another DC Black Label title, not Harleen, though I definitely think you should fucking read that if you have any interest in this character uh as always we are a new show so please hit that subscribe button share it on social media spread the word and like i mentioned last time we are making t-shirts gonna do a limited run really soon so keep an eye out on our social media